these are really strange days that we're living. Um, you know, it, it, it's got such a strange feel to, to, to it, at least in my experience. And I think a lot of people kind of feel the same way. It's, it's just been a really strange year. Um, uh, so the strangest year I can remember in my lifetime, uh, you know, with the coronavirus, uh, with the elections and the campaign this past year and a half, and uh, with the fires in Oregon here, and, you know, with the economy ups and downs and, and worries, and, you know, what's going to happen with the uh, election? Nobody knows who the president's going to be, or, you know, some people think they really know for sure, and others don't, and there's just confusion and consternation. But it just, you know, you, you see these riots and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and people are just really um, uh, up, uh, you know, in a tizzy. And there's, there's, even, there's even talk from different groups, uh, you know, about civil war. And as a somewhat of a civil war history buff, um, that's not a good idea. I mean, you know, who knows what that would look like in modern days, but man, back in the 1860s, uh, it was, you know, everybody thought, no big deal, we'll just fight off these weirdos and you know, deal with it. But it was really a most horrific time of our nation's history. And you know, people are even talking about that kind of stuff now. And it causes one to think, man, are we at the edge of a precipice about to you know, go off uh, as a nation? But it's not just us, it's the whole world. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing the world sort of at that edge of the cliff. And, you know, France is uh, stirred up and they, Macron is uh, hated. And, you know, the, around the Arab world, they're, they're, you know, they're using their social distancing dots on the floor, putting Macron's face on it so they can step on it. Uh, that's the most rude thing you can do in some of those Arab countries is step on someone's image or picture, you know, with the bottom of your foot. Uh, we Americans don't think of it the same way, but in, that's like the most insulting thing you can do to a person. Um, you know, Macron and Europe, you know, <clears throat> a lot of these um, European nations are realizing what, that with um, radical Islam and them letting uh, immigration just flood in, how it's changed all of Europe. Uh, they, they call London, Londanistan now because it's very Muslim and there's neighborhoods of Sharia law that's being, you know, imposed. And like, you know, Great Britain's not the same anymore. And there's a lot of change. And <clears throat> and you see a lot of, a lot of crazy uh, change in the world and they're just strange times. Well, I've got good news for you. <clears throat> I have a strange sermon for strange times. I think this sermon is appropriate and I think it's gonna be strange. Uh, it's not the kind of sermon you hear every day. Uh, and it has to do with what God asked of Jeremiah. Uh, God asks Jeremiah to do one of these prophet Old Testament style prophet, you know, uh, object lessons. Now we've seen a couple of those already. <clears throat> Remember Isaiah, he was told, Isaiah was told by the Lord, Lord, the Lord said, Isaiah, I want you to strip down naked. Okay, Lord, and then what? Well, then I want you to walk around all of Israel for a year naked. Uh, you want me to do what, Lord? I mean, talk about a tough day at the office. Uh, the Lord saying, you gotta walk around naked. Uh, and so um, Isaiah walked around naked and saying to the children of Israel, even as I am naked, so are you before the Lord. Like it's, it, was, it was quite an object lesson. When we get to the book of Ezekiel, man, Ezekiel's got a bunch of strange things that's required of him. You know, uh, uh, probably one of the, uh, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of them. We'll talk about what, in a few weeks when we get to the book of Ezekiel. But, you know, one of the big ones uh, that I remember is Ezekiel, had to lie on one side for 390 days, just laid on one side. Can you imagine uh, what that's like? 
and then he flipped over to the other side and he laid there for 40 additional days. And uh, you say, well, what, what kind of message was God trying to send the people with Ezekiel, uh, you know, doing that? Well, I'll tell you when we get to the book of Ezekiel, that's coming. You know, and we're gonna see Ezekiel, you know, and others, you know, uh, doing some weird things with his food, cooking with manure and, and doing some weird stuff with his food and his hair, throwing it in the air and chopping it with a sword. There's strange stuff. Some of these guys, you might even think, these guys have lost their marbles. Um, but not, not really. What happened really was Israel had lost their marbles. Israel had rebelled against the true and living God. Israel had forsaken the Lord and that's the insanity. And that's what the Lord is trying to show the people of Israel that they have lost it. And that's why these prophets had to show kind of craziness. And it wasn't the prophet that was crazy. It was Israel and and Judah and Jerusalem that was crazy. What a sad, sad uh, indictment against the people of Israel. Now, as we look at this, one thing you have to remember is these were recorded here in the Old Testament because as it turns out, the Jews would be a prime example of really all humanity. You know, they were sort of our best foot forward, really. But, uh, but as it turns out, you and I, we have the same exact inclinations toward sin, toward rebellion, toward, uh, you know, just kind of that crazy uh, mental attitude against God. And so we have to say, Lord, are these lessons for us? And the answer is, yes, they are. They're, they're here recorded in scripture for all of us to read thousands of years later, only to say, Lord, are we guilty of the same thing? This, this uh, crazy uh, image that Jeremiah is gonna set up for us in this strange sermon, uh, it's gonna be, I think, very hitting close to home, actually. Um, The indictment against Judah and Jerusalem is really one that could be leveled at uh, our culture, our people today. Um, So let's take a look. It's Jeremiah uh, chapter 13, verses one through 11. Let's take a look at this. This will be our text uh, for today. It says there in Jeremiah 13, one, thus saith the Lord unto me, go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins and put it not in water. So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord and put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time saying, take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins and arise, go to Euphrates and hide it there in a hole of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass after many days, that the Lord said unto me, arise, go to Euphrates and take the girdle from thence, which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates and digged and took the girdle from the place where I had hid it. And behold, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, thus saith the Lord, after this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. For as this girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, 
that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not hear. Interesting illustration, strange illustration. Poor Jeremiah, man, this prophet, I, I, I wonder if he was like, oh man, Lord, you want me to do what? Um, you see, uh, this, this, this is so crazy because can you imagine poor Jeremiah? He was already, already hated. Uh, we're gonna find out on ch in chapter 11 on Wednesday night um, that you know even his hometown and even some of his family members hated Jeremiah. He was despised by this time. He was still a fairly young prophet, but they, they hated him and thought he was a weirdo. And so the Lord says, uh, I want you to go, you know, and get this girdle and wear it around and, you know, walk up to Euphrates. Now, um, the thing about this is this girdle uh, that he was wearing, and we'll talk about what it all is in a second, but, um, you know, can you imagine the people of, of Judah and the men of Jerusalem saying, uh, Jeremiah, what are you doing? Um, just walking around. Well, where'd you come from? And what's up with your girdle? Uh, it's all dirty and holy and moldy and what in the world's going on? Well, I just went on a trip somewhere. Where'd you go, Euphrates? 300 miles away? You walked 300 miles in that girdle? Uh, well, yeah, why? Well, it's, um, you know, I was just doing what the Lord told me to do. And thus saith the Lord, as this girdle looks on me, that's what the Lord says about you. And that was his sermon. That was his message. Uh, I'm sure the people thought, man, that Jeremiah, he's lost his marbles. It's a tricky thing sometimes hearing what the Lord has to say because I think sometimes we as humanity are so sure of ourselves that we know what's good and what's right and what's wrong that the truth almost looks crazy sometimes. You know, I think they probably thought Jeremiah was nuts, but actually it was the other way around. The people had truly, uh, you know, lost their um, love for the Lord. They, they lost their care or interest in the Lord. And they, they thought that they were self-sufficient and they were about to be completely destroyed by the Babylonians, but they would not hear it. They didn't wanna hear it because it sounded crazy to them. And be careful, just because something sounds crazy doesn't mean that it is. And just because God's word tells us stuff that's sensational and interesting, but also a little on the edge, doesn't make it untrue. Um, I, I sometimes uh, feel that humani uh, humanity or human nature is that we only will agree with or believe in the things that we can discern or figure out for ourselves, you know? And, and as long as we can prove it scientifically or this or that, um, which the Lord reaches outside of logic and science sometimes too. And so that's the problem. Jeremiah has got this powerful, strange message that he's gonna give to the people. And the, 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 the story here is, is quite powerful, but important. Let's consider, you know, the main parts of this illustration, this, this sort of, uh, you know, uh, object lesson that God gives through Jeremiah. The first thing that we're gonna look at is the prophet himself. Number one, um, you know, Jeremiah is the prophet. The, 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 first, uh, the first few words of this verse, thus saith the Lord unto me. This is Jeremiah saying, this is what God told me to sp speak to you. And that's what a prophet's job was. The prophet was, would speak the word of God to the people. And we've talked about what prophets are and were, and uh, even to this day, what, what is uh, in previous studies. But Jeremiah was an official prophet of the Lord. And, you know, poor, poor Jeremiah, you know, his life's being threatened. Um, look, look, back, look back in chapter uh, 11. Let's, let's pre, uh, preview uh, verse 19. Um, 
In Jeremiah eleven nineteen, it says, but I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. I knew not that they had devised devices against me saying, let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof and let us cut off from the land of the living that, uh, that his name be no more remembered. Who are they talking about? That almost sounds messianic, you know, that they're gonna cut off, you know, and kill, you know, someone like, a, like an animal. But that's not messianic. This is, this is Jeremiah's friends and family saying, we're gonna kill him. Like this is a tough season. And now, now Jeremiah has to do this interesting illustration. So the first part of God's plan to reveal uh, his word to the people is through the prophet Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah. Um, and now we look at the, from the prophet, then we go to the girdle itself, number two on our list, the object of this illustration. Um, now, uh, you know, this idea of a girdle, it's, it's, um, it's kind of hilarious. I remember as a little kid, I, I remember some commercial came on TV about a girdle and I had no idea what a girdle was, but I remember, uh, you know, I was the kid, that, the, the youngest in the household and I'm the guy, mommy, what's a girdle? You know, and, and uh, my whole family, I could sense the awkwardness, you know, and, and my mom had to explain and my dad, you know, it was an awkward moment. My sisters were shaking their heads in uh, embarrassment, you know, but I remember turning bright red when I heard what a girdle really was. Um, and so you kind of think, what in the world is Jeremiah wearing a girdle for? Um, well, it, it, it's, the problem is, you know, uh, this, we have a, a view of what a girdle is, but we have to dig and find out what this girdle was in biblical times. It wasn't to give Jeremiah that nice shapely uh, body uh, uh, under his tunic or whatever. Nope, this, this girdle had a different sort of role, but it is sort of an underwear garment. So there's some close things there. Let's take a look at the definition of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is azor, is the, um, is the way you would say that in Hebrew. Um, if you look up Ezor in the uh, Hebrew dictionary, um, and, and by the way, that word Ezor is translated 14 times in the King James uh, as girdle, but the word Ezor, it could also be called a waist cloth, the innermost piece of clothing, a waistband, but here's, here's kind of a key, something bound. Bound, waistband, cloth, under, undergarments, that's the idea. When a when a um, you know um, a person wore a, a girdle, it was often sort of a, a the undermost part of clothing that when they would gird up their loins, uh, as the the Bible says, they would sort of tuck everything in together and sort of use um, this this girdle to hold it all together. Um, this girdle would would not just work as sort of undergarments, but also would be uh, sometimes even translated or talked about as a belt. And the reason it would be called a belt is because it would keep things tight into your body, even weapons and what have you. Oftentimes the weapons would be attached to the azor, which would be that tighter innermost garment. Uh, and it would keep things from flapping in the wind and stuff like that. Um, by the way, uh, we have a, a funny uh, slide about uh, how they would gird up the loins of a person uh, in Bible times. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Remember how it says that uh, men would gird up their loins? Even Jesus, by the way, said this, let your loins be girded up. Um, but this is the idea. We found this in the art of manliness. Uh, they actually show how biblical times they would gird up their loins. And this is a good illustration, honestly, as funny as it is. Um, but it basically shows, you, you know, you couldn't go to battle wearing that little sort of dress sort of thing. 
So they would gird up their loins and the way they would sort of tuck everything together would uh, be that way of girding. But it also involved uh, that, that uh, thing that is the azor or that undergarment called in the English, the girdle. And that's why we see that term gird up the loins and what have you. So, so there you have it. This, this, it's, yes, it's kind of an undergarment. Um, it's not, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, something that's spandex or anything like that. It's, it's just linen. It was a linen piece of cloth uh, that they would wear under their robe. And it was kind of a, the, the uh, innermost part of clothing. It was, you wouldn't walk around in your girdle typically, um, but that's, that's what Jeremiah is gonna uh, be asked to do. Now, What's the spiritual significance of the girdle? Like, why does the Lord use this clothing article uh, to say, Israel, you're the girdle. Uh, and who's the man you know, that's wearing the girdle? Well, as it turns out, that's the Lord. Uh, did you see that in our text? It says there um, in verse 11, for as the girdle cleaves to the loins of a man, so I have, I have, have caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord. The Lord saying, um, I wanted to sort of have you on as a girdle. Now, by the way, this, this speaks of a couple things. Um, uh, the girdle representation means to be bound up, but also it's, it's a picture of, of, ser- of service. And, um, and by the way, there's probably a third one that uh, not to get overly weird about it, but even intimacy. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you realize the girdle is that part, of, if, if the Lord is wearing the girdle, it's like he wants his people close to him. And uh, man, I've even read some scholars that talk about how the Lord uh, wants intimacy with his people. And, um, and that's what this girdle sort of represents. But um, uh, also to be bound up, Jeremiah 13, 11, uh, as we read it, it says, um, oh, I would have caused them to cleave the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, uh, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a glory, but they would not hear. The Lord wanted to bind up his people around him, his body, if you would. Um, and that, there, there's this binding up. By the way, there's a word that we um, use and now it takes on a little more of a negative uh, connotation. And it's the word religion, religion. Uh, you know, there's, if you're old enough, you remember when religion meant something good. Uh, maybe you remember the old hymn, give me that old time religion, you know, it's good enough for me. Uh, we should bring that song back. That was a good one. But, um, but, but to, you know, today, religion, over the last 30, 40 years, religion has become sort of a negative word. And, and the reason is uh, because of abuse, because people of religious, uh, you know, uh, pro- proclivities, they would use religion and make it a negative thing. I remember as a kid, there was a big phrase that was hip, hippie and sort of Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s where, um, where they said, man, I'm not religious. You know, I, I'm into have a relationship with the Lord. Are you religious? No, I, I believe in Jesus and I have a relationship. And so we were trying to make this turn from hardcore legalistic weird religion to uh, having a personal relationship with Christ. And that was true. And the Lord did use that movement by the way. Um, but. Originally, the word religion meant something good. And by the way, the word religion comes from the idea of being bound up. Bound up, that's what religion means. Now, originally it meant to be bound up together as the church of Jesus Christ, around Jesus Christ. When religion was a good word, it was a good binding, sort of like what the Lord wanted for the people of Israel to be bound up around his body, cleaving to his body in this imagery of the girdle. 
to be bound up to the Lord in a positive way. Um, but religion, the word became bound up and it meant sort of more like bound up in shackles and chains and uh, you know, uh, handcuffs. Uh, you know, that's what religion started to you know, change to have that negative meaning. Um, but, but really it's interesting because the Lord is saying that's what he wanted. The girdle was a representation of being bound up with the Lord and that's what he wanted for his people. So the, the first representation is this idea of being bound up together with the Lord. That's, that was his objective. That's what he wanted. Um, but it became a bad thing because the girdle became useless. Um, uh, it says that several times here in this little story that the girdle was useless and, um, and uh, it would just be bound up on the Lord as a, as a problem. By the way, in the New Testament, do you remember someone's girdle that was used as an illustration? Um, it was there in the book of Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through 13. Um, there's this interesting little story um, that, uh, that has to do with Paul the apostle and um, his girdle. Let me read it to you. It's, it's Acts 21, uh, 10 through 13. It says, and as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. There's a good name, Agabus. <clears throat> when we go to Israel, we usually have two buses and we call one bus the Barnabas and we call the other bus the Agabus. Um, uh, but uh, verse 11, when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and he bound his own hands and feet and said, thus saith the Lord, the Holy Ghost, so that uh, the Jews at Jerusalem shall bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. You see, uh, this guy Agabus was basically giving a word saying, if Paul goes to Jerusalem, uh, the Jews are gonna bind him up and imprison him. And he was right. But Paul shrugged it off and said, yeah, whatever, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I don't care what happens to me there. Uh, that's basically what happens. But is, isn't it interesting that this idea of the girdle of the Old Testament, meaning bound, being bound up to the Lord, Paul was pictured as being bound up by his own girdle. Um, it's, it's a picture of the girdle as being bound up. Is it a negative or positive? Well, that's, that depends on the girdle itself. You know, is the girdle uh, useful? And is it bound up, meant to be a, a garment that's functional? Or like the Jeremiah illustration, this girdle has become useful for nothing, profitable for nothing. That's, that's the idea here. So here we see the representation of being bound up. The second representation of a girdle in the Bible, I know it's weird that we're talking about a girdle all Sunday, um, but is the idea of service or uh, servanthood. Um, you know, we see uh, Jesus, um, you know, when it says there in, in uh, you know, Luke, 1235, he says, let your loins be girded about. Um, and he, what's he talking about? It, it's talking about readiness for service, um, readiness. Uh, that's why men would gird up their robe for battle. They were ready for service in, in the military or service as far as work or serving. Um, it's all part of what the Bible says. So what happens when Jesus in John chapter 13 gets up to be a servant of all, Remember, he stripped himself of his clothing and he girded himself, that's the word he used, girded himself with a towel. And why did he do that? He was ready to serve as he went to wash the disciples' feet. So the spiritual significance of um, the girdle 
is to be bound up to the Lord in a good way, tight and around the Lord intimacy, but to be bound together. But the second imagery is that of servanthood and serving the Lord. Um, By the way, Exodus chapter 29, verse nine, the priests serving the Lord in the temple were to wear a linen girdle. That was part of their you know, uh, clothing that was so important. They wore all kinds of uh, interesting garments to serve the Lord in the, in the temple or in the tabernacle. But uh, Jeremiah 29, nine, the priest wore these, these same girdles, uh, if you would. So, um, you know, our text here is, is speaking of that for Israel. God wanted Israel to be bound up together with the Lord. But they said, we will not hear that. We don't want any part of that. And because of that, it made them useful for nothing. They weren't able to serve the Lord because they weren't bound up with the Lord. So this object of this girdle is, um, is, is Israel. Israel's the girdle that God wanted, but it became useless. How did it become useless? Um, well, that, that's, that speaks more of the condition of this girdle. What was the, the condition of this girdle? It says there in, uh, you know, in our text, it says it was good for nothing or uh, profitable for nothing. It says there in verse seven and also in the end of verse 10, it shall be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. Um, have you ever heard somebody call, you're a good for nothing or you're good for nothing? That's, that's a tough thing to hear especially when it's God saying this about Israel, they, be, they become useless to God because of why? Why did this girdle, that was supposed to be a useful garment, why did it become useless? Well, um, this is where we, we realize that this is what God wants for his people. What use do you have to God? What possible good thing could you or I hope to be or do for God? Well, one thing I like to remind you and I uh, this morning uh, is this in Revelation 4.11, it says, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they were created. You and I exist to please God. And there's a use that you have to give glory to God, to honor the Lord. That's a useful person. If you're living to please yourself or living for yourself, uh, that means you're probably becoming less and less useful to God. When it's all about yourself, you're not fulfilling your calling in life. Um, Your calling is to be useful for the Lord, Revelation 4.11. Now, why did this become useless? Well, it's because of what Jeremiah did to it in this little object lesson. Um, How did this this girdle become useless? Well, um, it, it was dirty and it was uh, marred is the, the King James way of saying it. But what, just all you gotta do is picture what Jeremiah did. He bought a brand new girdle, useful, put it on and he walked 300 miles. Do you realize that like 250 to 300 miles, he went from you know, just below Jerusalem up north, uh, northeast and went 250 miles on a journey. What did the girdle look like after the 250 mile journey as he walked that way? And then he took, took this girdle in a place where there was a rock with a hole in it. And he crammed the girdle in this hole in the rock and buried it probably with dirt and left it there. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long it was there, but it, it was sitting there marinating in the dirt with worms and maggots and decomposition, uh, you know, over a long period of time. That's all we know. It was a fairly lengthy period of time that this girdle sat out in the weather with water and dirt and, uh, you know, rain and whatever, whatever it was, 
Um, but by the time Jeremiah, the Lord says, now go back to that Euphrates area. Did he have to hike back 300 miles again? I don't know. But he went and dug up his girdle that he had hidden in the dirt, in the rock. And, and he pulls it out and there it is, marred, useless. Lord, you want me to put this on? I can barely even wear this thing. It's totally messed up. It's, it's, it's just gross, moldy and dirty and holy. And the Lord says, yep, put it on. And, and that's what Jeremiah had to sort of go around and show people. See, this is you guys, this girdle, this represents you. Um, um, and so this, this girdle was useless. Um, now, one of the reasons it became useless is nobody had washed it. This is an important part of this picture. Did you see what happened in verse one? In verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse one, it says, you know, get the linen girdle, put it upon thy loins and put it not in water. In other words, never wash it in water. Um, so that's a pretty bad deal. He wore it hiking 300 miles and uh, buried it for a long time, put it back on, hiked 300 miles back and uh, never washed it once. Uh, that, that's a, uh, a, I mean, enough information right there, I think. Uh, it's a bad deal, it needs to be washed. But the reason its condition was useless and marred is because it had never been washed and it sat there hidden in a rock by the Euphrates River. And you see, um, that's, that's the problem. The condition of the girdle was useless, but how did it become useless? Well, that brings us to the, the uh, third point, the hiding place itself. Where was that girdle hidden? Um, in fact, um, the Lord told, told Jeremiah, arise and go to Euphrates. Now, the Euphrates, this is something that... Um, uh, we might miss in our culture because we don't live in that region of the world. But the Euphrates was sort of synonymous with Babylon. You know, the Euphrates River was the mighty river uh, that was up in the northern region that flowed down into Babylon. In fact, the Euphrates, remember the, uh, when we talk about Daniel's prophecy or when, you know, uh, Cyrus, uh, the Medes and the Persians came and attacked Babylon, that's how they conquered it, is went under the river portion that went into Babylon, uh, the Euphrates River. And so the Euphrates, you know, it's like if you can think of rivers and places, you know, the Nile is synonymous with Egypt. The Jordan River is synonymous with Israel. The Euphrates River is synonymous with Babylon. Now we know that Egypt is a type of the world in the Bible, but Babylon, interestingly enough, is also speaking of a type of the world, but it also, um, interestingly enough, speaks of the world and its oppression the oppression of the world, because the Babylonians you know, were oppressive and they took the people of Israel into captivity. You know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and they were pagan. And what's interesting is the Jews were dabbling with Babylonian gods and stuff like that already before they even were taken by the Babylonians. And so here's Jeremiah saying, um, you know what? This girdle became useless because it was buried there in the, uh, in the Babylonian river the Euphrates River. And, and it speaks of the world and its idolatry, the world and its oppression because of sin and rejection of God. How did this girdle become useless? It became useless by being hidden in the world. Uh, hidden in the world. That's, that's kind of an interesting image that Jeremiah brings the girdle. Why did he have to walk 300 miles to tuck this girdle away in the dirt, in the rock? Um, the Lord had a reason for him to do that. He could have just buried it in anywhere. But he says, go up to the Babylonian region and bury the girdle up there. And that girdle will become useless because of that, 
that imagery of the Babylonian godless uh, idolatry and all that stuff. Um, you know, uh, the quickest way to become useless to God is to be buried in the world. Bury yourself in the world, spiritually, emotional, physically, just be a worldly, godless person. You will become useless, marred in the hand of God. You will no longer be useful. And this is the imagery that the Israelis had to learn, but it's something you and I should be very cautious about. Um, The quickest way to become useless to God is to become buried in the world. And this lack of water is the problem. There, nobody washed this girdle, so it became useless. And, and see, this is where we start to come to the answer of how we fix this girdle or prevent the girdle from becoming useless, maybe would be a better way to say it. How do you do that? The missing element is water, remember? The girdle, it said, put it not in water. Jeremiah was told specifically not to put water in and wash it because that's the problem with Israel. They were not washed, they were not cleansed, but they buried themselves in the dirt of the world and they stayed there and became totally useless to God. Um, This missing element of water, you guys know in the Bible, uh, water is a picture of the word of God. Um, It's interesting because there's many scriptures. In fact, let me go over a bunch of my favorites, uh, uh, washing with water of the word scriptures. The first one might just be Romans chapter 12, uh, verse two where it says this, it says, I beseech you, well, verse verse two, it says, be not conformed to this world, you guys have this memorized, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may uh, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, two is telling us kind of the, it's the opposite, it's the antithesis of what happened to the girdle. Um, We're not to be conformed to this world. The, The girdle became conformed to the dirt and the mud of Babylonian river. Uh, I was buried in the world. But as believers, we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How does that happen? Well, there's just wash, more washing scriptures. Um, for example, John's gospel, um, or pardon me, Psalm, Psalm 119. Let's talk about that one. Jot these down in your notes. Uh, in Psalm 119, you know, uh, the, the psalmist wrote about this. He said, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Um, that, that's, the, that's the key is the word, Psalm 119, verse nine. Um, the next scripture uh, there is John 15, three. And uh, that's where Jesus declared this, now you are clean by the word that I have spoken unto you. You see how there's this cleansing uh, link to the word of God and water. Um, maybe the best one of all is Ephesians. Uh, in chapter five, verse 25, where it says this, it says that, the, that Jesus Christ will wash his bride, the church of Jesus Christ, in the water of the word. That's how he cleanses us. And so the lacking element in, a, in the Jeremiah imagery is no water, no washing. The girdle became useless and it was buried in the world. And this starts to tell us, how can we keep ourselves becoming, from becoming useless in the hand of God? How can we uh, avoid this pitfall of the people of Israel, this, this, um, this you know, dirty girdle? Well, um, the, the, that kind of leads us to sort of this final section of our uh, lesson here in number four, the people themselves. Um, Jeremiah 13, 11 says, the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, sad to say, 
the Lord said, I, I wanted you to be my people for a name, for praise, for glory, but they would not hear. They would not hear what? Listen, they would not hear the word of the Lord. Thus they were dirty and they were useless. They were buried in Babylon and they weren't willing to hear the word of God. And so they became useless to God. This is sort of the logic that God was trying to have the people of Israel see, um, but they really had no idea um, how dastardly their deeds were. Um, they were just on the edge of the cliff, strange times in Israel because you know, they knew their Northern brothers and sisters were taken into Syria uh, years earlier. Uh, and they know that Babylon's a coming, but they're sort of in denial. In fact, we'll see the scriptures um, coming uh, up in the next couple of verses even. We're gonna see how the Lord says, go ahead, fill your, all your vases, you know, your jars with wine. Be, be party animals, go ahead. But as you fill those vases with wine, so too the Babylonians are gonna come and fill your land with soldiers. Like it's, it's a very ominous, strange time. They're living in sort of this pseudo prosperity, kind of like us. We're still, even though we have a pandemic, even though we have, you know, um, hatred and uh, rioting and, and election problems and all the things that, you know, in economy, maybe that they're worried about collapsing in 2021 and there's all kinds of worries. We're all still doing pretty good. Fill up your, you know, things with wine and be drunk, the Lord says sort of sarcastically. But even while you're filling those pots with wine, when you do that, remember your land is gonna be filled with Babylonian soldiers. It's an ominous thing that's happening to the people of Israel, but they would not hear. That's quite, a, quite an indictment against God's people. The people would not hear. And so all that to say, uh, what do we do? How do we avoid the pitfall of the people of Israel? Man, I'll tell you, the answer is pretty clear to me. Um, you have to go to the word of God and wash and not bury yourself in this world, but be transformed, not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what the Lord calls for us to do and to be washed in the water of his word. There's a washing and a cleansing effect. Now, at this moment, I kind of have to explain something because um, um, people get confused on this. Uh, some people think, well, Brett, are you talking about losing your salvation, becoming dirty with the world? Listen, there's, there's kind of two parts to this. If, if you're a, a person who's never been saved, if you've never accepted Christ and the work of the cross, the Bible says you're still in your sins and you are positionally in real trouble. Like your, your life position is bad because the wages of sin is death. But good news, the Lord wants to save you from your sins. And he's made it so simple for you and for me. Why? Um, because we couldn't save ourselves. So he did the hard work. That's when Jesus, God became a man, lived among us, came from heaven to earth. And then he lived the perfect life, sinless, and became the lamb of God that was slain, the sacrifice that would be slain for you. Well, Brett, uh, just for me? Well, you almost have to think of it that way. I know he died for the whole sins of the whole world, but you're the one who's in trouble. You're the one who sinned and you need salvation. And Jesus is the answer for that salvation. There, there's no other way than going through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth of life. No man comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but by me. If you wanna go to heaven, you gotta be forgiven of your sins, washed and saved. So there's this idea of, of all your sins, past, present, even the future sins you've yet to do. Christ died once for all of those. 
And for anyone who wants to accept Christ, they can do that and be saved and forgiven. It's not carrying a huge Bible and walking around with a fake smile and plugging into a church or giving to the church money or any of that's not what saves anybody. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by God's grace through faith, not of your works, lest anybody boast, hey, look at me, I'm pretty amazing. Nope, there's no boasting. We say we're sinners and we are saved by God's grace, period. So that's salvation. But once you're saved, there's a kind of another tier that we talk about. And that is, you know, James talks about, well, faith without works is dead. In other words, if you, if you um, claim to have faith, but you have no, you're, you're not a help to the Lord or serving the Lord, then there's, there might be evidence that you never really were saved. So first of all, you need to make sure you're saved. And then <clears throat> what happens to Israel, they become useless to God. God forbid that we as Christian people become useless because we're buried in the world, buried in Babylon, you know, where we become marred and useless and dirtied by our sins. It, it sort of reminds me of that, that story. Remember, we, we referenced that Jesus girded himself, John chapter 13, with a towel. And he got down and started washing the disciples' feet. And do you remember, we talked about this even recently, where Peter uh, realized it was crazy that Jesus was washing his feet. He said, oh Lord, I sh you should not be washing my feet, but I should be washing yours. But Jesus was doing something that was more symbolic. He said, listen, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part with me. That's this imagery that we're talking about. You can't have any part with God if your feet are dirty. But Peter gets this confused. He says, well then Lord, not my feet only, but my head and my hands, wash my whole body. And what did Jesus say? Peter, your head and hand, are, they're already clean. That's salvation. You're, in other words, you can almost say, Peter, you're saved, but you're dirty because you've lived life and you've made mistakes and, and you need to be clean on your feet. So there's, there's two kinds of cleansing. There's the ultimate salvation cleansing. That's when you become a Christian. But then on a day-to-day -day basis, you and I need to daily cleanse and wash um, because we touch this world like Peter's feet and we get dirt that attaches to us. And so how spiritually does a Christian, how does a young man cleanse his ways? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How does the church of Jesus Christ get washed? Jesus washes his church in the water of the word. Um, that's, that's where we see this correlation. There's this cleansing that takes place on a daily basis. So, so salvation is positional. In Christ Jesus, you're saved. But this washing that we're talking about is, is practical, just daily practical cleansing that comes by staying in the word of God. And, and really what you're doing right here with Athey Creek is we're going through the Bible verse by verse. There's a cleansing effect that takes place. But I would not just say, you know, Wednesday and Sunday, but daily dose of the word of God is what the doctor ordered. You know, the, the Lord wants us to wash daily in his word. I hope you're devoting time, you know, to the word of God. Um, some people say, Brett, I like to read the Bible at home, but I, I just don't get it. Uh, I don't understand it. Wednesday night, you kind of explain it. And Sunday you make, make I mean, I would have read this story about a girl and thought, what was that about? But you might say, so I just, you know, the word just goes through me like a sieve. Listen, if you pour the water of the word through your sieve, at least you'll have a clean sieve. You may not understand everything you read or know all the theology or the doctrine, but that's okay. Just there's, there's a supernatural washing that takes place as you read through the Bible, even in your own personal devotion time. And that's just a daily cleansing. And it's that behavior, being into God's word daily, that will um, keep you from burying yourself in Babylon. 
I remember when I was in college, um, I was full-time student, but I was also a full-time pastor. Um, I was a, a children's pastor of a large congregation. And I remember that was a fairly stressful time of my life because I was you know, working 40 hours a week and I was taking uh, sometimes up to 21 credit hours uh, in college. And my grades did reflect that, uh, that it was probably too much. But I, I had just enough you know, GPA to you know, get through. And um, it, was, it was stressful, intense. But um, I remember you know, going to Southern Oregon University uh, and, and it was, um, it's like a little miniature Berkeley, you know, very, very much godless. I remember a lot of my professors, they're the reason that a lot of these young people are communist, Marxist, socialists, because I remember I had a bunch of communist profs at Southern Oregon, but they're also atheists as most all communists really are and socialists. And, um, and uh, I remember I had to kind of be doing battle with these uh, professors. And I remember uh, talking to my own pastor saying, man, how am I gonna get through this? You know, I'm a Christian, they know it. I'm a pastor and I'm at the most, one of the most liberal uh, institutions uh, you could ever be at, you know. And, and, and I love what my pastor's advice, John told me, he said, listen, Brett, you gotta read all those textbooks. You gotta listen to those lectures and stuff, but make sure that you have a steady course of the word. Don't let your, you know, reading of your college textbooks, you know, start to eclipse your reading of scripture. Your reading of scripture is what's going to get you through safe and sound. Uh, and I'm pretty convinced had I not been given to the word of God, I might just have ended up buried in Babylon there at Southern Oregon University with all the communist, Marxist, atheists that were trying to, you know, uh, pull the students' brains into oblivion. Um, but because I had that steady diet of the word, I, I really see that now that was the anchor that kept me uh, out of the rocks. And, uh, and I, I feel that, that all of you, all of us, we need to look at it that way. We live in a world right now where people are being dragged into buried in Babylon kind of stuff. And, and um, we need to say, nope, we're gonna, we're gonna wash in the water of the word daily. Um, people are being buried in Babylon because of politics. Man, they're all worked up about what's going on. And, and I understand why. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And I'm not saying you ignore that stuff, but, but I see people that have kind of buried themselves and they're finding themselves angry and frustrated and almost in a tizzy because of politics. I see people because of the coronavirus. People are flipped out. Um, and yelling and screaming at stores about wearing masks or not wearing. I just I just heard of a a store that was open um, and and even breaking some of the rules to be open. Um, and you know hundreds of people were there because they wanted to be open, um, and it was not in compliance with the state of Oregon. But this one guy I heard went in and started screaming at one of the employees because they were wearing a mask. I was like, what? And this, the store, the owner told me, yeah, the, the guy was screaming at the store person, even though the store was opening up and doing you know, the right thing. Um, but they had their employees inside wearing masks. And so this guy's screaming and cussing out the, the, the people because they were wearing masks and they, they felt like they shouldn't. I'm like, wait a minute. Usually it's the other people screaming. But as it turns out, there's just craziness going on everywhere. People are upset. Uh, and, uh, you know, the more and more, I'm, I'm just saying, there's more and more doctors coming out. Even yesterday, legitimate doctors are saying this thing is way overblown. And the whole coronavirus thing, some people are saying it's going to be, even though it's a real flu and it's a real sickness and people have died, 
um, they're saying it's, it's not even close to what we're, you know, the media and politics are saying. So people are up in a tizzy, ah, and they're freaking out. Man, this is not what God has called his church to be. We're, we're not to be anxious. How much are we supposed to be anxious about? Anxious about? Nothing. You know, Philippians tells us be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding will rule your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, his church, we don't want to become useless, um, a useless girdle because we're buried in Babylon, the world and its system. Um, I see people getting buried in all kinds of fears and all kinds of frustrations of the strange days we live. I wonder if the reason the Lord used a strange object lesson with Jeremiah, I wonder if he used the strange illustration of a girdle because they were living in really strange days and it sort of matched. And honestly, the more I think about it, the more I think this sermon of Jeremiah for us today about the girdle that was marred in the mud and maggots and worms and all that stuff, totally fits today's problem. You and I need to watch out and say, Lord, we wanna be usable. We wanna be like pure, clean linen, tightly bound to you um, that's useful and ready. We don't wanna be the girdle that's marred and dirty and muddy and maggoty. Uh, we wanna be the, the useful girdle. I'd like to end with this final um, image that the Bible actually gives about a girdle. You wanna know what the final image of the girdle is? It's in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter one. Check this out. In Revelation chapter one, verses 12 through 13, it says there, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. That's the seven you know, churches of Asia Minor. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the son of man, that's Jesus, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Pratt, we're done talking about girdles, come on. Uh, we don't like talking about underwear the whole service. Well, isn't this interesting? We end the story with a golden girdle. Um, there was a TV series. Oh, that was Golden Girls. Um, the, now I'm talking about the golden girdle uh, that Jesus was there. You say, Brett, what is this all about? Why was Jesus wearing a golden girdle? Gold in the Bible speaks of deity and um, purity, those two things. And I, I find it interesting that Jesus in the end times scenario picture, as he's addressing the church of Jesus Christ, he is uh, wearing the perfect girdle, the golden girdle that speaks of absolute purity, but also speaks of his deity. Um, and I wonder if that is sort of an image the Lord wanted to leave us with when the Bible talks all about girdles and it links to um, being bound up with the Lord in a good way um, and also speaks of uh, our, uh, being able to serve him with all purity. That's what the church needs to be. We need to be the golden girdle where we're usable, where God says, there's a person who's clean and pure and walking with me and trusting and letting the word wash them daily. And the Lord says, you can either be a golden girdle or you can be a moldy girdle. Mold or gold, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna be the moldy girdle or the goldy girdle? That's the question that we're left with this morning. I hope that in these days where people are so tempted to get bogged down in Babylon, buried in Babylon and their, their usefulness becomes really not so much because they've buried themselves in worldliness and world's concerns and, and they've lost their ability to just purely, righteously serve Jesus Christ. That's the challenge that's before us. And I think there's a choice that you and I have to make. Are we gonna 
listen to Jeremiah or like the people of Jeremiah's day, are we gonna be rebellious? This last phrase of our text here in Jeremiah 13, uh, this last phrase is sort of uh, ominous when it says, but they would not hear. They would not hear. May the Lord give us ears to hear. Even there in Revelation, as he says to the seven churches, you know, the spirit of the Lord is speaking to the church. Let him who has ears hear what the spirit says to the church. And I think this is an important message for us, the church of Jesus Christ. Don't get bogged down and buried in Babylon, but be pure and wash yourself in the water of the word and be useful, not useless in the hands of the Lord. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Lord, as we close out this service, I pray that you would cause us to consider our usefulness to you, Lord. Have we become useless because we're frustrated or angry about politics or about the coronavirus? Lord, have we allowed ourselves to get sidetracked with things that really don't matter in the big picture? Um, Lord, have we uh, been buried in social media and trying to figure out who we are and what our influence is? Lord, have we been buried by um, worshiping other gods and other, other issues that are apart from you? Lord, help us. Help us to be a people who are constantly washing in the water of your word. Help us to be useful. Lord, I, I, I love that um, when you return, there in Revelation 19, it says that um, there'll be 10,000s of the saints returning with you wearing fine white linen. Lord, I, I thank you that you, when, we, when we accept you and when we get saved, that you wash us clean and you make us pure and holy based on what you did in the, on the cross. Lord, I pray that everyone out there watching today will know that they're saved. If there's anyone who's yet to accept the Lord, um, Lord, I pray that you just cause them to uh, give their heart right now. And just with an attitude of prayer, um, I sure would love to have uh, you have that opportunity to accept Jesus. If that's you and you've never done it, here's what you do. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus. All those things I said about Jesus, that he died, was buried, that he rose from the grave for your sins, to, to, to pay the price for your sins. That's why he did all that. And you know, the good news is that that forgiveness is free. It's the grace of God. Grace means undeserved favor God shows you. You didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, but it's a free gift. So you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Those are the two things that are required. Confession of faith. Lord, I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Confess that right now. And then believe in your heart. Lord, I do believe that you rose from the grave and that my sins are forgiven. And then just thank the Lord for saving you. Lord, thank you for saving me, for forgiving me of my sins. And don't let Satan whisper in your ear that you're not forgiven. Uh, that's what Satan does. The Bible says he accuses the brothers day and night, um, that you're worthless. But when you accept Christ, you become so valued and pure and holy positionally in Christ Jesus. Man, if you did that, would you let us know? And you can text us and tell us, I accepted the Lord today. Just, just there's a number that'll be at the bottom of your screen. And that number you can text and just say, new believer. And that'll let us know. We won't send you stuff or, uh, you know, uh, be weird about that. But it'll let us know that you accepted Christ and we'll be praying for you. Uh, that'd be awesome.